Go D-backs. to episode 15 of the Fantasy Front Office Podcast for the week of July 17th, 2017. And this week in the front office with me are Phil and Keith. All right, we're going to start off this show with a question, diving into our past. So, Keith, what is this question? All right, so the question that I kicked off on Saturday to everybody was, who's the first player that you can remember being a huge fan of, and what age were you? And when I first proposed this question, you know, I didn't know what response I was going to get. And we had a, quite a few responses, I think close to 300 to this point. And it was a lot of fun kind of hearing from everybody and what players, you know, kind of spark the love of baseball for them. So I wanted to kind of turn it over to you guys and uh, let's talk about a little bit. Who are the players that you guys first got really interested in and uh, kind of made things click for you in baseball? Um, the biggest one for me was Griffey Jr. when I was probably about six or seven, um, just watching him play. And it just, he just looked like he was having so much fun out there playing with his dad and, um, just backwards hat and winning the home run derby and all that good stuff. I mean, he's just an amazing player. And my favorite player of all time is Willie Mays. Um, read a couple of books about him when I was a little bit later in life, and they kind of are pretty much the same player. So it's actually kind of cool. Very nice. So who's your overall favorite player of all time? Is is Griffey still up there? Because a lot of what I heard from people was first player that they really started to follow that got them hooked on baseball is kind of still their first, you know, their overall player. Is that the same for you? No. Truthfully, my favorite player is probably still Willie Mays. Um, probably a close second is going to be, yeah, Griffey Jr. But I think Willie Mays, just from all the stuff that he did and the time frame that he did, when, you know, segregation was still not the best for uh, black athletes, things like that. Um, I, I personally believe that he was probably the best athlete ever. There was one year, I, I read a book, so um, there was one year that he actually uh, was leading the league in home runs, and the manager told him, you're much more valuable to us on the bases, so stop hitting home runs and start stealing bases. And the second half of the season, he hit like four home runs and was on pace to break Musial's record, by the way. Um, but the second half of the season, he had like four home runs and stole like 40 bases. So, I mean, it was just like, he, he told him, okay, you're, you're supposed to do this to help the team. And he's like, all right, done, coach. You know, so that's, that's just amazing that he has the ability to even do that. Definitely a different era of baseball. Can you imagine Dusty Baker telling Harper, hey, no, no more home runs, man. Just slow it down <laughs> right. a little bit. I'm going to need you to just, you know, steal second every once in a while. Right. What about you, Jeremy? Who's the player that, uh, that really got things going for you? Oh, uh, well, Griffey Jr. was definitely an influence. Um, I had a, a Griffey Jr. mitt, um, grew up, played on the Reds. So at one point, like, I was looking after, like, Barry Larkin and some of those old school guys. Um, and it wasn't till 11, 12 when I kind of hit the baseball card craze and Matt Williams kind of took over. Okay. Nice. I, I do have to mention one other thing about King Griffey Jr. is that I was at his game when he hit his I believe it was 500th home run maybe it was 600 I think it was 500 though Father's Day in St. Louis it was a pretty amazing experience just to see that from the player that was my favorite player growing up kind of thing so kind of cool for it full circle yeah it's cool to hear you guys both mention Griffey so growing up in Arizona and seeing a lot of spring training games 
Uh, I remember the first time that I saw Griffey kind of in the flesh. It was at a spring training game, or uh, Marlins, Marlins, the, the Mariners. Mariners. And it was A-Rod's rookie season. And so my dad's nudging me because he sees A-Rod walking down, you know, the, the foul pole line with, uh, with, with Griffey. So I'm running over there with my, you know, my ball in hand. And all these kids are getting autographs and stuff like that. And so I'm like two kids away from getting either Griffey or A-Rod or both. And uh, I didn't, didn't end up getting the autograph, but it was cool just to see those two and, and kind of remember that, uh, you know, that dynamic between those two as, as A-Rod was coming up. Um, but me growing up in Arizona, I didn't have a team. So I got to watch TBS and watch, you know, those those Braves awesome rotations with Maddox and Clavin and Smoltz and Avery and, you know, Chipper Jones and, and all those guys. And I also got to watch WGN and the Cubs. And so we were Cubs fans growing up. I mean, I guess a little bit of Braves too, but you know, my, my brother was a huge Cubs fan. And uh, speaking of card collecting, the, the way that I got into it was my brother would, would give me all his Andre Dawson cards at like, you know, four or five years old. And so He's about eight years older than I am. And so I just got passed down like every Andre Dawson card for like three years. So, <laughs> you know, my collection of 60 Andre Dawson cards, that's where, you know, I kind of fell in love with the, the card collecting. And, and, you know, he was my first uh, favorite player because I got to see him, you know, on TV with the Cubs and and go to spring training games and see the Cubs games, stuff like that. So so Dawson was the first guy that I really, really followed at a pretty young age, probably around four or five, you know, just barely enough to know what's going on. So Well, cool, that's man. That was fun to, to talk about and, and definitely love hearing from, from you guys. That was a good response on that one. Um, anything else you guys want to add to that? You know, I'm glad you asked. Um, did you guys, I probably, I'm a video game nerd. Uh, did you guys ever play King Griffey Jr. baseball whenever it was out? Yes. Like mid-90s, there was a cheat code where you could hit a home run every time if King Griffey was up. <laughs> Legit, I always picked the Mariners and my friends would get so mad because they didn't know there was a cheat code. And I would just crush it every time. So it, it was uh, quite comical. Now, awesome. now on that game, I remember playing, this was on the SNES, correct? Right. All right. The the big competition was you were either the Mariners or the Giants because right. the Giants had the pitching staff and the Mariners just were slugging. So right. it was one of those where it was like, well, do I want to strike everybody out or up in the air kind of thing? But yeah, that was, that was fun. Nice, nice nostalgia moment. All right, well, let's jump into our first topic of the night. Keith, you've got some interesting stats here that are on four players that we have mentioned before. But let's uh, let's discuss these because it's either an uptrend or a downtrend. All right, so I do have four stats, and some of these are you know not uh, not live stats, but they're they're pretty recent. So the first one that I want to talk about is Aaron Judge. So coming into the All Star break, he was one or the only player with over a hundred Ks that had a batting average above 285, and he was hitting 329. So a massive gap in between the rest of those guys that are big you know swing and miss guys. And so the reason why I brought this up, and and now. You know, fast forward a couple days, we've seen kind of the slump that he's gotten into. Um, I think he's got two hits out of 25 at bats since the All Star break. So, you know, what do you guys think as far as? That stat, does that alarm you guys? Do you think that's just, you know, because he hits the ball so hard? I'm just curious to think, you know, what do you guys think and, and expect from him moving forward? Is that just the curse of the home run derby? Or is it going <laughs> to take him a little bit to get his swing back after that? He didn't seem like he was swinging all that hard in the home run derby. <laughs> no. See, the thing is, is that I don't think people realize that these guys do a home run derby every single day. Especially guys like Judge. Like, they put on a show every single day in batting practice. That's what they do. Like, they don't try to hit guys 
handicappers, they try to hit home runs in batting practice because that's what they want to do in the game. So I don't, I don't never really understood the home run derby curse. I mean, yes, it's correlation, but truly don't think it's causation. I think it's more to do with the person that's the hottest hitter at the first half of the year isn't necessarily going to be the person that's hottest uh, the second half of the year. And so there's some natural regression baked in. Um, I, I, I don't, I just don't think that anyone was going to think that he was going to hit like 65 home runs this year or whatever he was on pace for. And I, I guess the reason why I, I posted that stat is mostly to do with batting average. I don't think anybody's going to dispute, you know, the power that Judge has, but I know his batting average at 329 pre All Star break is just not sustainable. You know, if you look at any one of those triple crown numbers that he was maintaining through most of the season, batting average is the one that I think is the least likely to continue. And, and that's based on how much he, sw- he swings and miss and that crazy high Babbitt that he had, you know, in, at the beginning of the year. So, you know, before tonight, and tonight he went two for four, so he maybe snapped out of it a little bit tonight. But before tonight, he was one for 21. Um, he was batting 048 with an 048 slug and a BABIP of, you know, 0.71. So small sample size, 25 plate appearances. But, you know, what do you guys think uh, uh, an estimate batting average for the second half for Judge is? Assuming, uh, you know, he, he hit 329 in the first half. What do you think is a realistic batting average for him the rest of the year? I think if I was a judge owner, and this is not to sound pessimistic or I told you so from, you know, the league sense that traded him earlier, but I would have been surprised preseason for him to hit above 270. So I think I'll set that as the over-under, and I think I would probably be happy if he hit over that in the second half if I was his owner. And that's not to take anything away from him. It's just the strikeout rate itself. Um, I know he's got good plate discipline. He's leading the league in walks as well. Um, But I just don't think it's as easy as people think. I don't think there's ever been a guy that has hit 300 with that much, that many strikeouts. Yeah, I I did hear a stat very similar to what you're saying. And I don't remember the exact, you know, settings or what it was, but I do remember hearing something very similar to that. And I, I just don't think it's very likely. Now, Judge hits the ball harder than probably most of those guys that yeah. fit into that category. Um, but if but if I asked you guys, what's more likely that he hits 250 the rest of the way or he hits 300, which would you choose? 250. Yeah, trending I, I on agree. the 250 side. And, and the craziest thing that, you know, we talk about what, what trade value guys have um, going into, I guess, post home run derby when the hype was at its peak. You know, oh, guys wow. were talking. Guys were talking about trading him for Trout. In fact, I heard about trades yeah. that went down where right. you know guys traded and got Trout for Judge. And now look what's happened. And I, I'm not. I don't want to you know pull the parachute and say that you know it's it's everything's crashing down. But the batting average is a concern. I think he can definitely continue. He's probably definitely going to hit 50 home runs. Um, I think he's pacing like well, like 56 or 57. So I, I don't think 50 home runs is is really a question mark. It's is he going to hit 200 the rest of the season in doing so? And I think it's definitely possible. See, and that's the thing. is I don't know if it's more confirmation bias is that I thought that he was going to do that already so that it happened now or if it's, you know, statistically proven because, like I said, I mean, I, I just – like you said, I don't remember the exact stat, but I know that no one that is striking out at his rate – I think it was actually a 285 batting average or something even like lower than, lower than 300. Whatever the rate was, I think it was over like 33%, 35% strikeout rate rate um never had a higher than a 285 or 290 batting average something like that uh so like i said i mean i would set the over under at 270 and and be definitely happy if he hits over 270 the rest of the way me too so def- definitely keep an eye on that um and i guess if i if i had to choose based on the market right now if you can get you know trout or harper or you know one of those black men even i mean like a top five bat i don't think it's really a question mark for me um i do think he's going to go 12 ish next year 
either unless he tanks big time, you know, kind of fringy first round, depending upon league size. But I don't think it's going to go to me necessarily. And if I'm if I can trout or a top five bat for him right now, I definitely would. So let me ask you a hypothetical um, kind of grade the trade because I my cousin just traded uh, judge yesterday. Um, he is a league where judge could be a last round keeper for uh, and he's got hitting for days and pitching for days and keepers for days. So that kind of doesn't matter. Um, he's judge for Stanton and uh, Strasburg for the rest of the season. And I told him, I said, champion or flags fly forever. You know, I, I don't care that you get judged as a last round keeper. If he's he's in contention right now, he's in first place. And that, to me, boosts him up because I could easily envision Stanton having a much better second half than, than Judge. Yeah, and he's been hot the last couple of days. I think he's got two or three home runs in the last two or three games. So definitely the, the power is legit. And, and looking at Stanton's strikeout percentage, it's actually fairly low. I mean, it's below 25%. And so for the mass power that he has, he's striking out you know 10% less the time than Sano and, and what Judge are. So yeah, I think Stanton's having a, a very good year himself. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's jump into the next stat. And this is actually dipping into the minor leagues here. Um, so there's 20 minor league players that have double digit home runs, 300 batting average, but only two of those also have 20 steals to go along with them. And so the one that I I want to talk about today is Ronald Acuna. So Acuna is a Braves prospect and not even a top Braves prospect, I guess, in what the preseason ranks were. I think MLB.com had him at seven or eight. And actually, overall, they have him at 86 preseason rank. And now he's had an incredible season. He had a very good winter ball in Australia, where I think he was either the MVP or at least the most uh, talked about player in that league. And he's been promoted fairly quickly. I know, Phil, you, you follow the prospects real, real close. What are you hearing about Ronald Acuna? He's a guy that he's just lighting it up on the base pads. And this, this might be something where the low minors, a lot of times the catchers are working on things and their arms are absolutely terrible and they're not going to be a catcher for very long. Uh, so guys that have, you know, elite speed like him are just able to just steal at will. Um, I'm not really sure if that's the case. I haven't really dug too deep into his stolen base percentage, but it does seem like that he has, I think it's like 35 stolen bases on the year and some solid power. The mid-season Baseball America um, prospect update has him ranked 10th overall. So they've they've already switched him out. Um, they have Yohan Moncada one, Vlad Guerrero two. Um, they got Devers and the Eloy, all all the guys that were there. Um, Acuna's the one guy that stands out a lot, and uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. obviously are the two big climbers in that. But he, he's just a guy that he has elite power, elite speed, great batting average. He's he's super young. I mean, he was born in December of '97. I think he's like 19, 19 20 years Nin- old. Nineteen years old, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this year he started off in high. Did so well there. They're like, all right, you're going to double A at 19. Maybe you'll you'll chill out there for a while. 57 games, he hit 326, nine home runs, and 19 stolen bases. So he did get caught 11 times. So it is something where he maybe needs to work on um, what he what he's doing when he's stealing that kind of thing. But he's still got the speed. Um, his slugging percentage is 520. He's just elite all around player. I am very much waiting for him to get a September call up this year. That and that would be incredible to make that rise at 19 years old you know from playing in the Australian Winter League to playing in high A to advancing through double A you said 56 games where he tore it up 
Now he's in AAA. So through 90 games, through all levels this year, he's got a total of 33 steals. You mentioned he's been caught 16 times, but I think that's maybe just a mentality thing. I think once he gets on the base paths, he's just, just running. He just doesn't right. care. He's just he's just getting out there. He knows he's a you know superior athlete, and, and he's just uh, you know testing all these catchers in the minor leagues. So um, he's batting 311. He's got a slug of 515 and 879 OPS. Um, this guy is is definitely legit. So, you know, where do you have him as far as the, the overall ranks? You talk about Baseball America's midseason has him around like the, the top 10. You know, preseason uh-huh. MLB.com had him, I think, at 87 we mentioned. So where do you have him in, in, in your ranks? And I know we don't necessarily do ranks, but just off the top of your head, do you have him? I, you would, know? I would probably put him top five, realistically. Um, I like Vlad Guerrero Jr., uh, Yohan Mancata, uh, Devers, and him, and probably either Senzel or... Uh, uh, Eloy Jimenez in there in the top five. Okay, I would I would definitely I think I'm right there with you. I think somewhere between you know the five and eight range for me. The guys that I have in the same ballpark are, you know, I have Moncada ahead of him. I have Ahmed Rosario actually ahead of him. Uh, but he's in the same ballpark as as guys like Eloy Jimenez. In fact, I'd probably give him the edge for Jimenez just because he's so far advanced for his age. He's he's already two levels ahead of where Eloy's at. And, you know, the White Sox are probably going to bump him up and get him in a double A pretty quickly, I would imagine. Plus, um, he doesn't have the hype, uh, the Cubs hype anymore. <laughs> exactly. So he's not um, as good of a player. <laughs> but I think he's uh, I think he's in the same conversation with with Devers. Um, I think he's in the same conversation with Lewis Brinson. Right. And the, so there's there's several guys that are right there in that uh, you know three through you know seven range. And you know he's jumped about eighty spots here in in a few months. So definitely a guy that you want to kind of get out and get right now before the rest of your league catches up to uh, to to what the moves that he's made. All right. So the next stat that I want to kind of reference, and this is again it's a couple days old, so it's uh it's, it's changed a little bit, but. Scooter Jeanette, you know, at the All-Star break, had a higher slugging percentage than Bryce Harper, Paul Goldschmidt, Giancarlo Stanton, George Springer, and 357 other major league hitters. Now, Harper's had several home runs in his last couple games, so he's probably jumped ahead of Scooter Jeanette. But does that stat mean anything to you guys? It's interesting for sure. Is he playing every day or is he just playing against righties? He's not playing every day. In fact, I heard from from some angry Reds fans today that uh, they can't believe that he's not playing over Jose Peraza. Well, I mean, that kind of tells you one thing, that he's selling out for power, number one. I mean, obviously, he's, he's in Great America Small Park, so <laughs> people are, yeah, I mean, he's crushing the ball there. But, man, I'm just a guy that I'm going to be the one that'll be a year late on somebody. So if you already have him, great. Ride the hot bat. Maybe sell him if someone will give you something for him. If, if someone's trying to sell him to you and you need a second baseman, I think I'd look elsewhere. Um, I don't think that I believe it. I think it's more fool's gold than anything. So he's played four of the last six days. Um, he played right field, second base, second base, second base. And he sat uh, two times uh, for, for looks like Peraza. And it looks like he sat Shebler one day. But he's not getting, you know, is consistent at bats. But what are you doing with him right now? He's shot up the, he's probably owned in 60 or 70% of leagues right now. If you own him, what are you doing with him? Man, I guess I'm riding the hot bat. I mean, he's got 14 home runs, but, or wait, 16 home runs. Um, if you look at it, though, realistically, his last three years, he hasn't had an OPS over 754. His best OPS 
OPS plus was his rookie year of 127. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was only in 230 at bats or plate appearances. Uh, so, I mean, he's got roughly that much right now. I think we were just talking about how, how we think judges kind of, kind of drop in batting average and a lot of these stats. I mean, I could easily see Scooter Jeanette just face plant and, and do something like, uh, Kyle Schwarber did the first half of the year and just nothing the rest of the way. Not saying that it's, you know, the most likely scenario, but I could easily envision a scenario where that happens. Yeah. I, I would have to back you up on that. I, I just can't imagine. I don't see anything where he's made a fundamental change to his swing. And even if he did, I don't think that he has power to sustain, you know, an, enough home run production to really be valuable. And I, you don't need a whole lot of home run production to be valuable at second base, but we've been talking all season long about guys that, okay, the guy that's going to give you 70 runs, 70 home runs, five steals and 23 home runs. You know, what's, what's that going to do for you? It's, it's not, I mean, that's not really that helpful. You need somebody that's going to give you 25 home runs and 15 steals and a batting average is not going to kill you. And even at this pace, Scooter Jeanette's playing part-time is not going to get to 30 home runs, is he? I mean, there's no way. Highly doubtful oh, oh. at this point. Like, he he's getting a lot more at-bats right now just because Billy Hamilton's kind of day-to-day or he's spending some time on the 10-day DL. Um, you almost trust Peraza over Scooter defensively, so that that could be why they're putting Peraza out there in the field over Scooter. Put it, put it this way, um, Scooter Jeanette was so bad at baseball that the Brewers just got rid of him completely for nothing when they had Jonathan VR batting 200 in their lineup <laughs> every day. And, and that's that's the honest truth. Like, they thought that, you know, Scooter Jeanette was a nothing. I mean, before this, he was. I mean, even with this, uh, he's got a 765 career OPS. Um, this year, his home run to fly ball rate is roughly two and a half times what his career average is with everything else looking pretty similar, if not worse. So I just don't understand where this came from. All at right, all. So let's just, look, I don't want to spend too much time on, on him, but just I'm going to give a couple names and you guys tell me, you know, would you rather Scooter or this guy? Um, how about uh, D.D. Gregorius, the Yankees? D. Okay, I think yeah, probably back D. that up. He's going to get more regular playing time. He's got enough pop and, you know, his bat there in that lineup anyway. So uh, Troy Tulowitzki. Go Scooter. I would yeah. too, just because I've been telling everybody the entire season, don't roster Troy Tulowitzki. It's not worth it. So I can't change my stance now. I feel like um, I have to go with you on that for the same reason. It, yeah, I just can't get on that that bandwagon. But, so looking at the other names, I mean, there's like Javier Baez, there's Chris Taylor, there's Ian Happ, uh, Addison Russell, Josh Harrison. Any of those names jump off the page? I mean, they're not necessarily dropping a Scooter Jeanette to go run and grab those guys, are they? No, I guess not. But, no. you know, one one guy to keep in mind is, oh, wait, no, that's second base. Um, man, I can't even think. Yeah, I guess I guess Scooter Jeanette is better than I think at second base, but it's just, and I'm it's, I'm sure not going to be the guy that pays for him. I, I just know and, that. And, and I guess the, the the takeaway for me is we don't believe in what Scooter Jeanette's going to do, you know, over the second half of the season. It's been great the production that you've got. If you own him, you know, I would look to pair him with another position to see if you can do a two for one trade and advance and get another second base that we do believe in maybe a little bit better. So take another strength, take Scooter and see if you can make an upgrade at second base. All right. So here you go. Which second baseman would you rather Brandon Drury or Scooter Jeanette? Oh, Drury. I don't know about that because I think the trade that went down today, and we'll talk about that here in a few seconds, but the trade that went down today with J.D. Martinez, I think Drury could see 
see himself a little bit less at bats. He hasn't had a good 30-day stretch. Right. You know, I don't think they're going to take away bats from Chris Owings. Cattell Marte is pretty versatile as a as a switch hitter in that lineup. So against, you know, righties some days, or I, I mean, you could see him kind of slotting in that lineup as just a, a utility bat from time to time. I think he's proven that he can stay here. So Drury, I think, is a guy who could be slotted into that, you know, four out of every six games, similar to what Scooter Janetskin right now. Yeah, so Scooter is three years older, so he's got some more experience at the big leagues. But I don't know. It's tough, but I at this point, I would have to lean Scooter. No, I, th- I think Drury's a better player. I think, Drury, like, in Dynasty Leagues, I'm still excited about what Drury can do. I think he's going to put it together. He's got the tools to be a really good hitter in this league. In my opinion, I, I see him quite often. You know, I think what Scooter's doing is kind of fool's gold, but to, to Phil's point, I'm going to ride that fool's gold for as long as possible. If it gives me 10 more home runs at the position and in six weeks I end up dropping him to pick up the next hot bat, I'm probably going to do that. Right, exactly. All right, well, uh, jumping off from from somebody who, you know, has is, is been hitting pretty good recently to somebody that's been hitting good for, for a really long time, the next stat that I have is Gene Segura at the shortstop rank since 2016 is first in batting average at 329, second in slugging at 490, second in OPS at 870, fourth in stolen bases and runs out of everybody. So I know we have, you know, those top guys at the top of that shortstop pile, you know, including Correa and Lindor and Seager and Machado, you know, Trey Turner before the injury. And those are all the the shortstops. And I don't know if Machado is going to maintain shortstop eligibility. I don't think he will. But where does Gene Segura fit into this mix? Because, you know, based on this stat and what we've been seeing from him since he got traded to Arizona last season, been a top three shortstop. Stop. He's he's got a better slug than Machado. He's got a better batting average than Correa. He's got a better OPS than all those guys except for one. You know, at what point do we start considering him a top three, top four shortstop? Truthfully, I think right now is the time because Correa's out till almost the end of the year. Um, Lindor preseason, I would have told you yes, maybe top two or three. Um, at this point, I think he's fallen. He's got a 262 batting average. I mean, he's got the power this year, but I mean, I feel like he's sold out for power in his open. OPS stayed the same, so it's not really selling out for power, but somehow his average dropped, but his slug went up around about the same amount. So um, he's a a curious creature, but um, to your point, Gene Segura has just been amazing, and I kind of have to eat crow because I I was beating the drum that, you know, he was inconsistent every other year. It seemed like he was going to be up or down, and you don't know which year is going to be the year, so I kind of stay away from guys like that. So I'll buy in next year, and he's going to tank just like he did <laughs> the last time that I got him. That's that's kind of how it works for me and guys like this. But um, right now, he's just nothing short of amazing other than that uh, DL stint that he was on for a little while. And it's going to make, you know, I, I own Segura in several leagues, and, I, and some of it's carryover from last year, and some of it's redraft. And it's been a frustrating season. He's he's produced really well when he's been in the lineup, but he has been injured quite a bit. He's behind in, in at bats for some of those guys, and which to me makes that stat even more impressing. You know, impressive that he's you know fourth in stolen bases and runs in probably about 75% of the at bats. So with those additional at bats, if he would have been healthy, who knows? Maybe that batting average falls a little bit, but you know he's probably one or two in in all five of those categories. So. I guess of that six, you know, six man, you know, grouping right there at shortstop, assuming, you know, we're, we're talking about Machado in that group as well. Who's who's last? Who's the odd man out? If we're moving Segura up in in that, you know, out of sixth into wherever we're going to rank him, who's last in that group? Assuming everybody's healthy. Now, I know we have Correa. It's out for what, six or eight weeks. Um, and I know we have Trey Turner 
who's out uh, for quite some time. My, my impression is maybe we don't see him this year, but I don't think I've heard very much. Have you guys heard anything recently about what his timetable is? Uh, I heard the Correa one was closer to eight weeks than six. Okay. Um, have not heard anything about the Trey Turner one. Yeah, the Turner one's been weird. It's been really quiet. I, I, I think what I originally heard was, you know, don't, kind of count him out. Like I almost thought that, you know, he wasn't going to come back this year, but um, a lot of people have been asking. So, you know, if you guys hear anything, make sure to, to you know, tweet at us and, and kind of let us know what you're hearing. So, but who's the who's the odd man out in that group? So who's who's not making it into the top five, assuming you know next year everybody's healthy? Out of what guys? So out of Lindor, Seager, Correa, Segura, Machado, top top six shortstop. Well, I don't think Machado is going to be a shortstop next year. Okay, I, I think so. I, I think just ranking those guys, I think I'm actually putting Machado at the bottom of that list. Oh, I put Lindor below him. I don't know, man. I, I know I'm the high guy on Lindor, and I think long term, I still worry about Trey Turner's, you know, being able to sustain his skill set. I know his speed is unreal, but that's such a risky asset that he has as far See, as speed goes. The, the Trey Turner thing i am more of a head-to-head weekly categories guy so to me the trey turner thing just didn't make sense but in a roto sense i've become more enlightened uh, i guess i'll say um with stolen bases being as rare as they are in today's game uh he's extremely valuable in that sense but if it's in a league where you know week to week if you get seven stolen bases or 12 stolen bases there's really not a difference that to me is not a league that i want trey turner in so i would probably put him last on on a head-to-head weekly but on a roto league i would probably put him in top three or four yeah it's it's tough they're all they're all very very good it's hard to kind of separate the the pack there but uh I guess we're, you know, we're also kind of figuring out Bogarts. I, I don't really consider him in that same exact mix, but uh, he's having a, a pretty good season as well. So the top of shortstop is, is really, really thick, but after that it gets pretty ugly. So something I want to bring up as far as what, what Segura's production has been over you know a, a fairly long amount of time, and that's, I think it's almost 1,000 at-bats, so almost full two, you know, full two seasons um, or, or 800 or 900 bats, so a, a big chunk, and he's been uh, extremely well. So, so yeah, those are the stats that I wanted to kind of bring up, kind of different uh, different things, but uh, guys that are either, uh, like Jeremy said, on the rise or uh, or struggling a little bit. Excellent, excellent. Well, let's turn to Phil, and we're going to hit up the trade market. This is going to be us talking about um, Major League trades and pretty much how they're going to impact uh, your fantasy team. Um, obviously, the JD trade, JD Martinez was traded today. Um, that's a big deal. Uh, him going into that lineup, I know that the the Tigers lineup looked like it was going to be good this year. It hasn't been. Um, but the the Diamondbacks lineup has been damn good. I guess you guys probably know more about that than I do. Um, <laughs> a little bit. But, but the ballpark itself is is also one top five, maybe some-ish park in the, in the entire league. And um, I know Detroit was in the bottom ten, so... Uh, that's a, that's a big deal jumping up into there as well. Um, the other guy that already kind of moved over was Quintana. Um, what do you think about those guys? Uh, JD is gonna light things up here. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. And, he is and ma- also he's, he's made for that ballpark. Oh, that yeah, definitely. And also he is going to be a big help here in the desert for facing left-handed pitchers. For some reason, it has just been our Achilles heel of late. Like. We just went through a series, faced three Dodgers lefties, and it wasn't pretty. And then even Jaime Garcia just tore us up. I think part of the problems, the Diamondbacks are 29th out of 30 teams as far as batting average against lefties this season. 
Wow. And I think a lot of that is contribute, you know, and that's why they made that deal. And that's part of they needed another power right-handed bat. The corner outfield was a good fit. They didn't have to give up very much to, to get the trade done. You know, J.D. Martinez is a rental player. He's playing for a contract right now, which is good for the Diamondbacks because hopefully he's motivated to, to produce. Um, he had that ankle injury. I think it was either preseason or early on in the season. He came off the disabled list. And actually, I was a little bit worried about his lingering injury because, you know, I had heard from, you know, Stefania Bell of ESPN and a couple other people on on other shows that, you know, this injury wasn't going to be one that was going to go away. It was actually going to linger, you know, a little bit longer into the season. And JD actually came out and said right when he was activated was, hey, this, you know, this is still going to bother me a little bit. So, you know, I was kind of worried in telling telling owners like, hey, you know, proceed with caution. But, you know, he shut us up pretty quickly and, and went on an absolute tear the first seven or ten games. And he hasn't really let up yet. So I know he's, you know, in the top five in, in slug and OPS and, and, you know, in the American League. So now coming over to, to the Diamondbacks, he's going to fit in real well in that lineup. He's going to He's going to play every single day. He's going to probably hit fifth behind Jake Lamb or, you know, depending upon what the lineup is, if it's against the lefty, you may even see Jake Lamb sit, you know, based on, you know, when everybody's healthy. But the reason the Diamondbacks have been struggling against lefties is because Tomas typically was that right-hand power bat that really hurt left-handed pitching. Also, A.J. Pollock was a right-handed bat in that lineup, but has been out for, for most of the season. So two of their best right-handed bats have been out for, you know, at least half of the season. So you had guys like Fuentes and, you know, other other guys that are journeymen that are left of journeymen that are not really, you know, the scalso at the uh, hidden from the left side. So, you know, this was definitely a move. And I actually think the Diamondbacks offense is going to get a big boost here, especially when Tomas gets gets activated and, and you know, plays probably partial time. But that's that's several right handed bats that are able to boost that lineup pre- pretty quickly. Absolutely. I think it's a big deal for the playoff race and um, certainly a big deal for your fantasy roster as well. Um, another guy kind of similar situation, Jose Quintana, the Cubs have been sorely lacking an ace and somehow they go get a guy with a four plus era and he comes <laughs> over and and throws 12 strikeouts in his first outing uh just absolutely dominates spectacular um so what are you guys thinking about Quintana? that starting rotation was bleeding it was so bad this season they, they've i don't know if it's just the the world series fatigue and coming off a world series win but their rotation has been just Awful. And so, you know, this is going to act as a shot in the arm to them. I think there are six games behind, five and a half games behind the Diamondbacks there in the last wildcard position for the NL. Um, I fully expect them to, you know, catch up and, and be right there in the mix. They, they may pass Milwaukee in the division, you know, right. as far as winning the division. That's more likely than, than playing for a wildcard position. But no, that, that team needed an arm. They got it. He's a very consistent guy. He's a workhorse. And they needed somebody to take the innings off of, you know, some of the other guys and just bolster that uh, that rotation. So I expect him to pitch well. I expect them, you know, to give him good run support and to get good wins. You know, he's a he's a guy that I'm excited about. And I think he had a rough stretch there, maybe around the end of uh, May, beginning of June. But since then, he's been very well. Yeah, he he could also be a how do you put it? Confidence boost guy. Right. Going from. Yeah. Change of scenery definitely gives you a morale boost going pretty much from the worst side of Chicago to the better side currently. Well, I mean, the the defending champions, even though they're not in first place or anything like that. But um I mean, that that lineup is still something on on some days, I guess, to fear. Um, Other days, I mean, so much. But uh, moral of the story 
story is, is that they needed, like Keith was saying, that that pitching staff needed desperately someone that could go out there and, and give them a quality start every outing. And uh, we joked around in the fantasy baseball league that I'm in, uh, the home league that I'm in. We have a group chat. We call him Quality Start Quintana. I mean, because that's what he used to do every single start. Uh, he was severely underrated for a long time. And then finally when, I think, finally when he gets, you know, rated to where he needs to be is when he starts to actually not do great. So it's kind of weird how that works in the world. Um, but there's a, a couple other guys I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, the Todd father, uh, Todd Frazier, he's been linked to uh, the Yankees, the Red Sox, a couple other teams, a mystery team out there apparently. I, I um, believe it's been announced officially. Oh, it's been announced officially now? Yeah. So Let, that's the Yankees. Keep, to the keep Yankees. talking. Yeah. Uh, okay. Him and a, a slew of relievers. Right. Yeah, Tommy Conley and uh, and uh, Robertson. David Robertson, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're apparently headed to New York, which would be um, a complete overhaul of their bullpen and make them n- nothing short of amazing. I mean, that's uh, how else can you put it when you have four guys that just throw smoke up there? Five guys. You're right. <laughs> I mean, that, five. That, five. Yeah, you, that, that bullpen now is, I mean, is like is crazy. I mean, I know you some of the Tansa has been struggling this year and actually, you know, Chapman hasn't been his his self necessarily. But, man, when you talk about the those five guys that you have or four guys in that in that bullpen, man, that's really, really good. So I, I still don't know that they have the rotation to be able to sustain. And I know we've talked or they've talked about uh, Chance Adams maybe getting a, a look here at the major league level of prospect for the uh, for the Yankees. I think he's their seventh or eighth. Rated prospect, no, nobody too, you know, too crazy. But um, yeah, I think they still need to help with the rotation um, with Pineda, you know, kind of going down. But interesting move. I, I think that if they do make like if this move is actually official and everything is uh, happening, I think that they'll make another move for a starter, just because CC's getting up there in age. I think his contract ends either this year or next year. Um, Pineda, I believe, is the same thing. I think he's either one or two years left on his contract. Um, so the, the re- sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Go ahead. The, the the rental starters that are available, and we're looking at, you know, I'm looking at a pretty cool tool here on rosterresource.com. So check it out if you guys are interested in kind of following what trades and, and potentially could go through. There's a really cool, you know, trade deadline uh, feature here on Roster Resource that we're looking at. So the rentals that are available from top to bottom are like you, Darvish, probably not going to get moved. Jason Vargas, Trevor Cahill, Lance Lynn, um, Chassin, Scott Feldman, Marco Estrada. Those are the true rental guys. You have other guys that are potentially on the market like Jeff Samarja, Marcus Stroman, Sonny Gray. Gray's been linked to uh, to a lot of teams. Um, so, yeah, any, any of those guys jump off the page as far as maybe being a, a good fit for New York? I don't think any pitcher's a good fit for New York, to be honest with you. That ballpark is just crazy. Um, I think Dan Straley would be somebody the Yankees would probably um, want more than – or not Dan Straley, Sonny Gray, sorry. Um, yeah, somebody no, Straley would wouldn't more. do well in New York. Right. No, I was I was thinking uh, Sonny Gray. I think he would do a little bit better in New York than uh, some of the other ones. Um, maybe Samarja if they uh, the Giants ate a bunch of that contract. Um, there's no way they trade Stroman uh, in interdivision. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think the most likely uh, candidate out of that is going to be Sonny Gray. All right, so it is official, and the dominoes have begun to fall. Yon Mankata has been recalled from AAA. Wow. And will play third base, I believe, for the White Sox. All right, Yon Mankata. If you did not have him stashed, you were silly, and go <laughs> ahead and pick him up now if he is available. Uh, pretty much uh, Chris Rose kind of just summarized this whole trade. Um, if the Yankees can make playoffs, they've turned games into five-inning games because Conley, Robertson, Batances, and Chapman all in the pen. I mean, potentially even shorter than that if you have, like, Conley or someone else go two innings. Um, you can mix and match, especially in the playoffs. All you got to do is get there, just like last year. I mean, I know no one is like uh, Andrew Miller. I mean, you got Batances that can throw a couple innings here and there. I mean, you can potentially throw Batances in in the third inning and, and still have a dominant end of your bullpen. So that would be crazy. Right. It's just looking pretty sick in New York with relievers. Oh, boy. I bet uh, Brian Kenny's out there somewhere smiling from ear to ear. What a smoke show it's going to be there in uh, New York. That was a reference Golly. to Brian. Brian Kenny always talking about bullpenning, by the way. Ah. In, case you don't, in case you don't follow him on Twitter. <laughs> All right, so that is a couple of guys. Let me see if there was anybody else that kind of jumped out at me that I wanted to talk about on that roster resource. So I hear some craziness that uh, Manny Machado is potentially on the block um, because they obviously are not going to re-sign him next year. They don't have the capital to do that, and uh, he is a free agent after next year. So thoughts on that? Um, chances of that. Let's go with those two different things. Uh, I, I don't hear that. I, I can see that his name would be floated out there. I, I'm not seeing it unless they can get a major haul. What, what about the Red Sox? They are in need of a third baseman. They do have the capital and they're crazy enough they have the prospects the capital and they're crazy enough think that they could actually re-sign him next season if they wanted to only thing about that is is that Devers would obviously have to be involved and uh, am I crazy to say I'd rather have Devers on the contract that he's going to be on not at all I think basically the league minimum no I think he's major league ready I think you know one for one trade I don't think it's fair nearly at all well I mean and if you're Baltimore you wouldn't do anything less than him and God, probably a couple other guys to included. So I, 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 I'm on kind of Jeremy's camp where I don't think that it's realistic that anyone's going to pay the price for a year and a half of that whenever cost the, is going to be so high. Yeah. Part of the problem is Machado hasn't been good. I know he's been okay, yeah. but based on you know other production from you know the similar position, he hasn't been good this year. He's been pretty pretty bad actually. We you know Jeremy and I talked about it on last week's show. I don't know where he ranks as far as you know shortstops, but it's it's not great. He's nowhere in the in the top ten. Power production has been okay, but you know something's something's off there. And and the fact that he's playing for you know somewhat of a contract now is is even a little bit more concerning in my opinion. Right, I agree with that hundred percent as well. Well, because because yeah. the big thing is like Machado. What as of six months ago, there was a big debate as to who would get the bigger contract, Machado or Harper. They were both upwards of four hundred million dollar contracts were floating out there. Granted, I think they're both Boris Conch, uh, Boris uh, clients, clients. But geez, like uh, he's definitely not worth that right now. Well, I mean, the, there's the old adage: you're worth what someone's willing to give you. 
Um, and and in this MLB landscape, some team is going to be dumb enough to give him that money. Plain and simple. Whether it's you know the Dodgers uh, probably doesn't make the most sense, but yeah, I could envision them doing something crazy. Well, just uh, looking at the Yankees, the top teams, yeah. looking at the top teams, like at the top two or three in each division that may be in the mix as far as looking for a guy. You know, Boston's looking for a third baseman. Tampa Bay is nowhere close to, you know, it sounds like New York's locked up a third baseman for the next couple of years. You know, Cleveland's not going to do that. Minnesota's not going to do that. Houston doesn't need them. Seattle probably isn't going to do that, right? They don't have the capital to, to pull something like that off no. or the prospects. Uh, Angels are out of the mix, I would imagine. Washington Nationals, that's just not fair. They don't have the prospects. Um, Atlanta probably does have the prospects, but I can't imagine they do something like that, would they? No, Freddie Freeman's their third baseman of the future. Right. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. No. Um, Milwaukee's not going to do it. Chicago's not going to do it. Dodgers aren't going to do it. Dimebacks. So really, the only fifth that, that makes sense to me is is Boston. And so, so, so what if Boston worked something because they do have Devers pretty much major league ready, and he's going to be their third baseman? What if they did something and included like Bogarts in deal, clear up a spot at short for Machado? Yeah, the problem is it, the only reason you have to get Machado on a, on a rental contract um, which I believe is what he's on right so he's free agent next year um, or is it in no, two years free agent after 18 after 18 yeah so okay, so yeah, so the only reason you do that is is to make a, a run at it this year and at next year. That makes it a little more interesting as far as yeah. So I agree with you, Phil. So you're gonna have to go Devers plus somebody else to get that done. But man, I, don't, I think Devers but is. Why would why would Boston give that to a division rival though? That would be my only question. I get it that you're getting Manny Machado, but again, you're giving them the resources that are these prospects are Devers at least is is like I gonna, said. I mean, gonna be a stud. Gonna be a stud. Yeah, he's he's got middle of the order written all over him. As far Uh, as we're talking about like fantasy prospects, he's got maybe the best upside offensively than anybody in that top mix. Um, I would I would say him and uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Those two guys together are just unbelievable. Um, so Todd Frazier is actually um, only a one-year rental. So, uh, you know, the Yankees could potentially even try to sign uh, Manny Machado at the end of 18. So maybe that's what their their long-term game plan is, is to throw him at third base and just kind of piece together third base until then, which it seems like they've kind of thrown to the wayside for the last couple of years. So what else is another, What you know, what's another year? Well, ESPN does have a, uh, a video with Buster Olney today talking about how the Orioles and Red Sox could work out a Machado trade. So it is out there, and it's being explored at least. So granted, if you do trade for him now, I would say while he's having a down year would be the time to lock him up more long term. Yeah, if you can trade for him, and I just can't imagine Machado at his age looking across the diamond at Bryce Harper about to sign a $400 million contract that he would allow himself to get locked up in a down year. And just, especially with his, like you were talking about Boris being his guy. I just, he's going to go to free agency. I mean, this year in arbitration, he got 11 and a half million dollars. He's, yeah. he's fine until he makes it to uh, his free agent year. It's, it's not like he's living on, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. I say that, you know, jokingly kind of, but um, there are guys out there that are on, you know, league minimum contracts at, at a young age that that's why they take those six year, you know, $30 million 
deals or eight-year $30 million deals, whatever they are, whenever they're super young. Uh, like they got Jed Jerko to sign a few years back. And and so now he's only making $6 million a year. Again, only with a grain of salt, but something where he didn't make that much money. So now Machado's already financially set for the rest of his life, even with the money he's already made. So I'm sure he can just sit back and wait for that paycheck to come, whatever whatever size it ends up being. Yeah, but then again, you you only have so many teams in that money game, and those teams are only going to get one of these big money players. I don't I, see the Yankees or Red Sox signing two guys for a combined 600 or $700 million. I might have my St. Louis blinders on, but the Cardinals have tried to sign a lot of free agents recently for top dollar, um, notably David Price and also uh, Jason Hayward. Um, those deals fell through. That money's there somewhere. Cardinals need a third baseman and a shortstop. If if they signed him after the end of 2018, I would be the most ecstatic. I would buy a jersey immediately. So I mean, there there are other teams out there because like the Cardinals just got their um, TV deal that's that's some like two billion dollars that starts. Um, I think it's at the end of next year. Or so uh, it, it kicks in right in time for them to be able to negotiate a little bit more. And I, you know, I think it's possible that there's a team that's crazy or stupid enough to do just that, Jeremy. But I don't know if that can work. I don't know if that is like if the White Sox did that. I'm I'm all on board, right? I'm I'm 100% on board because if you combine that with you know eight all of the, the top 100 prospects, geez. and then you start making deals for for guys that are on controllable, you know, three or four year deals and good contracts, right. like the Trey Turners of the world, like yeah, then watch out. But you know, to see you know a team like uh, Detroit, if Detroit does it, then it just I don't think it's going to work. I just don't I don't imagine a scenario where two guys can gobble up that much of your payroll and you facilitate a 40 man roster that's going to be competitive. And so that's not really the NBA, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, I mean, I, I completely agree with that. Now, the only thing with that is, is there's a lot of money in baseball, and there's a lot of money coming into baseball, and I just think that the contracts that are absurd aren't really going to be absurd in a couple of years because the Joey Votto contract that was crazy uh, beyond belief. Same thing with the Ryan Howard one. Ryan Howard didn't end so well, but those ended up being not not the worst contracts in the world. Um, if you think about it. How long ago was it that A-Rod got his first $250 million deal? Um, I mean, if you signed for 10 years... That was with that Texas, was, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and, and that was when Texas was cash-strapped and they had to trade him to the Yankees. So, I mean, it was, it was kind of stupid on their part, but at the same time, that was... 15 years ago? I mean, think about how much more money's in baseball now than there was then. And Manny Machado is basically what A-Rod was then. So I just, I think he's getting paid for sure. Same thing with Harper. I could easily see the Yankees just saying, you know what? F everyone. I'm buying everything I can. <laughs> I'm going to have Judge. I'm going to have thought, Sanchez. I'm going to have Harper. I'm going to have uh, Machado. Every, everything I need, I'm just going to buy. And then the 2001 Diamondbacks are still going to beat them. So. Um, yeah, but I thought baseball was, uh, I thought baseball was dead though i thought you know it was boring and slow and nobody watched it and now we're talking about multiple players making 400 plus million um in the year 2018 so uh yeah um i think i think there's much made about nothing in, in that respect not to get too deep into the pace of play or anything but shaving three minutes off a game isn't making people watch the game more. <laughs> no I'll tell you that right now three minutes means nothing in the big scheme of things if anything those three minutes make it to where people spend less money on beer because there's not 
time in between innings to go get a beer now. You know what I mean? Now you just have to wait for the beer guy to come around, and then when he comes around is when he comes around. Um, I don't know. So that's my little tangent on, on baseball <laughs> money. Um, so we talked about trades. Uh, we talked about kind of how it would impact your fantasy teams. Um, watch out for a lot of the players um, were traded. Uh, actually, one trade I saw, the, if, if that, yeah, obviously the Yankees trade is, is legit. So who was the guy? Anthony Swarak. Swarzak. Pick him up. He's the closer of the White Sox now for sure, probably. So, all right. Was uh kind of how trades were impacting the rosters this year. Sweet. Well, do we have any mailbag questions? Oh, one was talking about kind of that trivia question you uh, asked earlier. The answer was Ronald Acuna, and the other one was Scott Kingery. Um, the guy that asked us about whether he should pick up Kangri in a, in a dynasty league where he can stash 10 prospects. If you can stash 10 prospects, Kingry is certainly worth stashing in one of 10. I would say even if you can only stash maybe five prospects, Kingery is in the top five uh, for most teams, I would say. Where can the people find you guys? I am at the Baseball Jedi on Twitter. And I am at Fantasy underscore Keith. Make sure to send us... All your questions, your grade the trades, your do I drop this guy? We really want to hear from you guys and, and love uh, kind of giving and the feedback and talking baseball. So keep it coming. Sweet. I have been Jeremy at Front Office Jer. Hopefully next week we'll get Todd back from his rehab start. And we have been the Fantasy Front Office. Go D-backs. <laughs> 